Hey everybody, welcome to Wamper Radio. I'm Doa, with me is Charmer, and guess what? Once again, very sadly, we are sans Flake. <laughs> we miss you, Flake, but he couldn't make it this week. So uh, so we are, you know, in, in charge, which is a dangerous prospect, uh, especially because I'm the one uh, running the recording. So uh, any technical issues, you can blame me. Any janky, weird stuff, blame me. Um, Flake's going to try to save it with his editing, but, but, but good luck, buddy. You know, Maybe, and I yeah. might be the one who ends up editing it, oh, and then okay. it's going to be even worse. Who knows? <laughs> but one way or the other... The, the point of this is, is that this is our fault, all right? Yeah. Flake is very clearly the best of us, and <laughs> <laughs> it's going to show. So yeah. uh, with that in mind, uh, I guess this is normally where somebody would mention what the show's supposed to be about. I will do that. Go for uh, it. Our main topic is going to be discussing uh, kind of two things, but they're parts of the same coin, which is trying to solve a meta when you don't know all the pieces. We've kind of crossed the threshold. We know about half of the set one, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of deck building and theory crafting going. It's my favorite time of any card game, but it's hard to account for those things when you don't have all of the pieces. But also there's the kind of evergreen theory crafting, which is when you're testing, you know, do you want to just test with a small group of people and what are the dangers of that and what mm. does that do to your innovation etc so basically we're going to kind of talk through what it's like to uh solve for the unknown in this episode yep that's right it's going to be fun and we're going to of course look at the new cards that have been revealed for the star wars unlimited card game that's a card game we're talking about in case you're curious uh, you probably know that if you're watching um but first charmer we have to do the cave poll of the week See if he leaves it in. Yeah. Uh, so here we are with the cave poll of the week, and uh, this was uh, this was another question that I came up with, and uh, I want to acknowledge the fact that I, I intentionally did not include Chopper in the choices because, as we all know, he's the most bloodthirsty droid that has ever been yeah, created. Yeah, he like, he would have been the clear winner by landslide because he is a literal war criminal. <laughs> so so the point <laughs> is is that when you do something like this, which our question was, which of these droids wins in a fatal four way death match? The uh, it was uh, BB-8, K2SO, C3PO, and R2D2, and obviously we can't include Chopper. He's just too strong. That'd be like, you know, right. who's gonna win in a death match between like Yamcha, Krillin, um, you know, Tien, and Super Saiyan three Goku? It's like, you know, you, you gotta take Goku out of it. Yeah. Make it make it a little bit a little bit tighter, right? So anyway, yeah, it's it's like oh, who's yeah. gonna win? Uh, in a fight between Flake, Doa, Charmer, and Mike Tyson. <laughs> Depends on the fight. If it's StarCraft, he's going down. If it's physical like altercation, secret... I'm in big trouble. <laughs> he's probably like a, a secret Zerg pro. Yeah, Just I could kidding. see him. I, I could see him uh, nine pooling. Yeah. Yeah. Like, keep changing the number of, uh, you know, I guess you get more Zerglings now. Because it was six pool. Yeah, what's six pool? When you said well, nine pool, I was like, nine? That I mean, seems low. It was four pool originally in, like, StarCraft yeah. Brood War. And uh, yeah, yeah. then it was six pool in uh, in StarCraft Two, the initial iteration. Then they increased the amount of workers you get in, like, Legacy of the Void, I think it was. I think it's nine pool now? Maybe eight pool? I don't know. I, I, I watch StarCraft still fairly frequently, but I haven't played in a while, I admit. It's very sad. But... Wow, wow, embarrassing confessions today. But uh, let's talk about our cave poll, though, instead. Uh, who did you choose uh, for, for the All right. here? I 
first of all, I want to apologize, but I okay. snap selected K2SO. Oh, okay. Because I felt like he was just the the clear favorite. Not not only because of his size and his stature, but also because he just has that kind of cold, calculating uh, aggression. He's not yeah. going to mess around. I feel like some of the others might try to be a little bit uh, funny or flashy or whatever. But then after, so I'd already selected, but after I had time to marinate on it, I actually think that I should have selected C-3PO. And then when I saw the result, I was like, man, I kind of wish I did because he C3PO. was not respected at all. Yeah, because, and this is this is referencing that thing that i sent you and flake in the message which is mm -hmm. c-3po is technically luke's brother right <laughs> he, he is a son of skywalker so he's secretly really powerful he's just never had a chance to put it on display hmm. and i think that this would be the time where he would you know do do the big surprise right like in, in wrestling hmm. you got to have the the big surprise yeah that's true you have to have the surprise appearance you know oh, c-3po from the top rope <laughs> nobody right. expected him and did you notice he has a red arm yeah wow c-3po would be the one who <laughs> everyone thinks it was eliminated but he didn't go over the top rope and then he comes he comes in at the end and gets the mm -hmm. final elimination i could see that yeah i mean he's like that yeah he's a royal rumble champion but yeah, yeah. so you would have picked c-3po and I, I think that's your assumption is Similar to my assumption for what I picked, I ended up picking R2-D2. And the reason is, is similar in that we don't know what he's fully capable of. And, uh, you know, I had to go with R2 over C-3PO because R2-D2 has shown time and time again that, like, if there is a situation, he has a gadget for that situation ready to go. So I feel like if it came down to it, if it was a life or dismantlement situation, he would have some sort of gadget, you know, or... At the very, yeah. you know, at the at the end, he would just open up his chest and there'd be like a thermal detonator in there, like IG-11 <laughs> and Mandalorian. He'd just blow everybody up, you know? I feel like he wouldn't go down without taking everyone with him at the very least. He is a MacGyver droid. Yeah. I think that's what you've just sold me on. He always he does have, if it's not the, the right gadget, he just has the right mm. way to cause chaos. Like that, where Chopper just causes death, R2-D2 causes chaos, but... Mm -hmm. I, I think you're right. I think R2-D2 is another great choice. He's like a he's like a Swiss army knife, but the Swiss don't exist in Star Wars, so it'd have to be like a, a Bothan army knife. Because they're pretty, they're pretty tricky, right? They're spies and things. Yeah. yeah. I could see that. Yeah, there you go. So let's take a look at what the results were, though. What did you, the viewers at home, choose? And there you go. Okay. Yeah. So, K2SO. Uh, yeah, K2SO wins with 55.6%. And that, that is understandable. He's a, for, he's a reprogrammed Imperial droid, right? Very strong, very agile, in a straight-up fisticuffs. I think K2SO could certainly take on nearly any droid. That said, again, we know that other droids have lots of tricks. I think BB-8 probably has some, too, although you can't fit as much uh, efficiently in a sphere, I suppose. Uh, R2-D2, you can fit a lot in, like, a trash can shape. Yeah. R2-D2 was second. He yeah. routinely, I mean, he, he hacks things and he zaps yeah. things. And we figu you know, figured out he has, like, rocket thrusters. <laughs> he went through the, you know, first three movies and didn't even know that he can just, like, blast off. And I guess it makes sense. He is an astromech, right? So, like, if sure. he came, uh, 
if you became detached from your ship, you would have to have a way to use some thrusters to get back. But I'm just mm -hmm. saying, like, he's full of surprises. Well, it just makes you wonder, you know, why did he take a nosedive off the X-Wing on Dagobah when he could have just, like, serenely floated over to the uh, the bank of the, the little lake thing? You know, why did he do that? Maybe the journey to Dagobah expended a bunch of his power because the <laughs> navigation, it's supposed to be, like, a hard-to-get-to sure. place. Sure. And he just, he didn't have enough charge. I, I don't know. I think that's that sounds like the in canon reason. Is that like, oh yeah, yeah, he was he was low charge and he didn't know he was kind of like dizzy, you know, and he just sort of fell off. Um, and we need to push the plot along. But yeah, he did win second place. So thirty eight point one. BB eight did get a few votes. Um, C three PO got no votes at all, which I'm I'm kind of sad about. I figured he would have right. gotten when at I least saw one. None, I'm like, man, I really yeah. wish I would have went with my gut and just went with the underdog. He's because C three PO is the most. Uh, I would say the the most able to, you know, like if he needed to like convince somebody else to do the dirty deeds for him, he probably could. You know, he's the most versed in communication. Yeah. So I feel like he, he could he could make some deals. You know, he would be the best wrestling manager. <laughs> That's right. Of them, right? Like he would be the best uh, Paul Heyman or hmm. Paul Bearer. I kind of want to see C three PO as Paul. Right now, with K2SO being the Undertaker. Drags in the coffin <laughs> like, and it opens up and there's K2SO inside it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I want that now. <laughs> I can see uh -huh. that. Hey, photo Photoshop it. We we got some we got some good stuff with our Photoshop request last time. We're gonna wait until Flakes around again to review those, but but uh look forward to that. That's gonna be fun. Um so anyway, there's there's our cave poll of the week. Uh we'll have another one uh, every as Flake says, every Sunday-ish for you to vote on uh at the Wampa Radio twitter uh twitter account x account x twitter no. account see this is why i don't like the name x because it makes it sound like somebody that you used to be in a relationship with right well it is like, kind of oh, it's, how it's twitter my, is for all of us. Yeah, yeah and i no it's twitter yeah well much like uh uh some x's i feel many people do have an abusive relationship with uh with that platform so you know, maybe there is maybe there is a correlation there. Who knows? But anyway, go on that platform, whatever you want to call it, and look for the cave poll every Sunday ish um, to see, you know, what the what the questions are, even though the holidays are coming up. You've got time. You've got time to go look and vote in the, the cave poll, don't you? Of course you do. But anyway, that's it. That's it for the cave poll. Let's move on. Yeah. Do you want to just jump right into spoilers? Yeah, I think that it. that is yeah. the appropriate thing to do. We did get three new cards revealed. We did. And yeah. they are rather interesting. I, I'm just going to jump right in here. I'm a big fan of this uh, first one. All right. Which is the Inferno 4. So yeah, this is there a two-cost space unit. Uh, it is Vigilance and Villainy. has a 2-3 stat line. has the tags Imperial, Vehicle, and Fighter. But when played or when defeated... Look at the top two cards of your deck, put any number of them on the bottom of your deck and the rest on top in any order. Mm -hmm. Now, I really like this because one, the stat line is actually really solid. A two, three for two in space is uh, decent if you're just trying to get some early game presence. And if you're playing something like Vigilance Villainy, it might be in more of a control style deck, especially with the effect. So uh, a good sized body with a relevant effect to help set up your future turns i think is is really cool but the other reason that i'm a big fan of this as well is that it 
serves as both uh, a potential like counterplay for like Thrawn decks, for example, where mm -hmm. if they've looked at the top card of your deck and then you open your turn with Inferno, now it becomes unknown information for them. But also in the future, it's a card game, right? We might have effects where things interact with the top card of your deck in other ways. And so this could end up becoming a combo piece. This is one of those cards that right now, I describe as like good, not great. It fills a, a good role, right? It's sure, yeah. A early body in space helps smooth out your draws, helps just slow things down if you're on the control game plan. But in the future, could have a much bigger impact because of the ability being so dynamic. I'm looking through some of the other uh, the cards here just to see how this would sort of fit. And I feel like this is going to be a card that's in a lot of uh, vigilance decks early on. I mean, there's yeah. just there's just no downside to this. It's a like you mentioned already. It's a great stat line for your first turn play. You get to essentially scry four over the course of it. And in a game where you draw two cards every turn, being able to do that is is so huge, right? You can have excuse me such a such an influence over you know what you're going to draw that next turn. Um, and if it lives a couple turns, you get to do that two turns, right? So, yeah, I, I think it's just a great card. I think it's going to be in every Vigilance deck, essentially. It's just going to be one of those early game standards. And, uh, yeah, not much more to say behind, besides that. I mean, it's a little bit limited in that it's Vigilance and Villainy. Um, you know, so congratulations, Darkseid. You get you, you get Inferno 4. Um, but uh, it it's a great card. What can you say? You want to move on to the next one? I do. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pop this one up here. It is... The Jawa Scavenger, and we should say both of these were revealed by Garbage Rollers, in case you're curious. Yes. So thank you, Garbage Rollers, for bringing us these wonderful cards. Jawa Scavenger is a cunning ground unit, one cost, two, one stat line, fringe Jawa with Saboteur. So uh, a pretty pretty basic card, one for a two, one. You know, it's, it's, it's nice. Uh, one is obviously as fragile as units go. Saboteur is, is great. Uh, two power isn't going to really, you know, eliminate a lot of stuff uh, early on. So I I do sort of wonder about the usefulness of this. Uh, you know, you we always talk about limited, right? You know, um, and in limited, obviously, decks that people build are going to be less tight. So then perhaps the unit's biggest benefit, which is Saboteur, is in that case not even going to be super useful because you you aren't guaranteed to really get much use out of it. So as far as an early game play goes, you know, if you're really fishing for things and if you need something to play on turn one, this is something to play on turn one. Um, aside from that, unless there's some cool like Jawa tribal element that we have yet to see or something, then, uh, you know, I, I think this card is, is it's a, it's a common and it, it looks and will behave like a, a common card. What what do you think? I'm, I'm not super high on this one. I, I think it's fine, but I'm not excited about it. I agree with everything that you've said, uh, and you highlighted what I think are the most important pieces of the card, which are the Jawa and Fringe tags, because if this ever becomes useful, it will likely be because of those two pieces of info. Mm -hmm. uh, it is, as you said, it's a common, but even more so, it's a single aspect common. So many yeah. of the cards, as a way to balance them, the more powerful they are, the more aspect symbols they have to kind of balance that out. This is a single aspect, one drop common. So you don't expect a lot from it. The one health is a bit of a detriment because there are a number of ways to ping cards already even in set one. Uh, so when I say ping, uh, that's like a card game 
uh, terminology for deal one damage to something. So if you're new to card games or Star Wars is going to be your first. That's what I mean when I say ping. Mm -hmm. But this is not something that will survive very often. It will find the value when you play it on turn one. And otherwise, you will likely end up resourcing this a lot of the time. Or, as you were saying, in limited, there might be situations where if you draw it late in the game, but you can kind of go wide with it, being able to... Uh, again potentially go through a sentinel or something you might find some value the problem is that when you develop it late because it's so small your opponent will then also have an opportunity to attack into it or target it long before you ever get that attack mm. so in that regard where the other side of the value potentially comes from is by forcing an answer from your opponent because one of the things that we haven't, I think, highlighted enough yet is what I would describe as the action economy, the nature of the back and forth, back and forth with the actions. So this is the kind of card where if your opponent ends their turn early taking the initiative because they want to do something, and then you end your turn with like, okay, well, I dropped two Jawa Scavengers or something like that. That is potentially a lot of pressure now, and it might change what they were taking the initiative to do, right? It might alter their game plan which is why I like that it's in cunning because that would be the cunning use of it is instead sure. using this as a, like I'm trying to disrupt what you wanted to do, even though the card itself is kind of generic and not really that great. It, it does still represent a threat. Yeah. And I mean, there's all you could, if it lives, you could upgrade it. You know, you could make this a stronger unit, which in that case, saboteur would be more impactful. But uh, as it is in a vacuum, um, yeah, in a vacuum, it's it's, it's fine. I, I will not. It's definitely not bad. It's it's fine. It's a Jawa. It's what fair. do you expect? It's a Jawa. We're not well, expecting like a lot Jawas. from Jawa. I hope we get a Jawa tribal. Sure. And I actually kind of like the art just because I like the art too. Actually, it's, yeah. it's got a good perspective. Uh, mm -hmm. You get, still get the sand crawler in the background, right? You get that iconic. But also, I just like that even though this is Jawa scavenger, they have the Jawas in the background as well, right? Because mm -hmm that's their thing there's a there's a bunch of them there's always a, a bunch of them and, and he's a jawa scavenger that's ready to fight right which is important if he's going to be you know attacking people in your in your deck right um yeah i mean it's like, like i said i and i'm not a huge jawa fan i'm not anti-jawa i've just never been a you know i've never been a, a jawa lover like uh like many yeah. people out there in the star wars world, world are they are adorable their ways are mischievous which appeals to people, but I, not me. So I like them. To me, they are my Ewoks. I know a lot of people that oh. like love Ewoks, and I'm usually very anti-Ewok for whatever reason, but yeah, I also okay. love Jawas, and I understand that that basically makes me a hypocrite. But to me, I don't know. I, I saw the Jawas first. I fell in love with the Jawas first, and I just think that they're they're adorable little misfits. Yeah, they, they are adorable. I mean, Star Wars has always had, like, adorable things. Like, I guess... My question is in the in the the pantheon of semi adorable Star Wars things that appear in each film. New Hope has Jawas. Uh, Return of the Jedi has Ewoks. Mm -hmm. Empire Strikes Back. Do they? Would you say Ugnats fill that category? Much less adorable, I think, but also in the same vein of a of a small multitude of aliens right making noise doing a function. Yeah. comedic relief kind yeah, of I, yeah maybe what they were supposed to do what else would there be in in uh, empire if we assume that there needs to be this sort of like aspect to each movie it's got to be the ugnats right 
Yeah. Or, you know, you could say that it's the Ugnaughts because of the multitude, but if you're trying to go for, like, you know, the adorable character that's of small stature, like, isn't that Yoda? Yeah, but I don't really think of him as adorable, you know? He's kind of adorable. He's like, he's a first, he, like, he's kind of crazy, and then he becomes, like, very wise and someone you want to, like, respect, yeah. you know? He's the, he's the Willy Wonka of Star Wars. Would you go up to Yoda and be like, you're adorable? Yeah, I think I would. Wow. It's a brave, you're a brave man. I don't know if I would have the, the guts to do that. What's I, mean, he, he's, I mean, he's nice. Yeah, I mean, what's like, he going to do? Yeah. Like, he's, he's not... He'll like bonk me on the head with his cane or something, and it's I can deal choke with that. You. I deserve it if I'm calling him adorable. But <laughs> well, what do you, the viewers at home, leave a comment uh, on the the video? <laughs> is Yoda uh, adorable? Is Yoda who's more adorable, Yoda or Ugnats? Who is the adorable character in Empire Strikes Back? You know. And before you vote, just I want to throw this out there: which of those characters? has been in a backpack canonically because normally you C3PO. carry adorable things in in backpacks sure. or chest so packs or does c-3po's torso count for this c-3po's adorable C so when c-3po is like is blown apart into a bunch of pieces and it's just his torso with a backwards head and chewbacca's backward that might be the most adorable thing in empire strikes back yeah you know? i i yeah. would vote for that sure in terms of things in backpacks yeah, <laughs> and we're getting very specific here. Let's move on to the third card. The third card uh, is the yeah. Vanguard Ace. Uh, do you want? Go ahead. Go ahead. Sure. This is a space unit, cunning and heroism. Small stat line. It's a one-one, but it has the tags New Republic Vehicle Fighter. Now that is very yeah. interesting to me because of the text. The text says when played. For each other card you played this phase, give an experience token to this unit. Yeah. Now, the reason that I mention it's surprising with those tags is because this is New Republic, not Rebel. And this feels like the kind of card I would want to run in a Rebel Swarm deck, where mm -hmm. you're playing a bunch of small units and then you get a chunky space unit for value. Yeah. And that tells me that, again, this is one of those cards you might earmark for the future. If it doesn't find play in set one, you might earmark it for the future if we get more New Republic stuff. Mm. But this is... I think it's decent. There are some caveats here. One, even though it costs two, you don't want to play it early. And it is also two aspect, so you're really going to throw this in the sort of deck that you're trying to do a build around. Now, the places where I think it could get value, though... Because this is heroism and cunning, we already know that there are some cunning archetypes where you care more about the events that you're playing. And this says card played, not unit played. Mm -hmm. So in a quote-unquote spell-heavy or an event-heavy cunning deck, this might be a, a decent unit that you're playing late game where you play you know, two or three cheap events and then you slap this down for some value to establish board space. The downside, though, is anything that gets rid of upgrades, because we know experience tokens are upgrades, then that could be a great way to target this. Uh, obviously, it loses a lot of its value if you're playing against Cunning and they use something like Waylay to bounce it back to your hand. Mm -hmm. uh, this is th this is an interesting card. It's kind of like high risk, high reward, but you also have to build around it. But you can also see the potential payoff in it as well. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's going to be a situation where you want to play at least two cards before you play it. Uh, so you're at least getting like good stats per cost, right? You have a three, three for a two then at that point. Um, 
only playing one card, just getting a two two for two is is pretty pretty mid, as the kids say these days. So I I wouldn't wanna I wouldn't wanna do that. So I think it'll be difficult to implement. I'm very surprised by the New Republic tag as well, since the art would indicate a rebel uh, X wing with an Imperial Star Destroyer behind it in what seems to me to clearly be the Galactic Civil War era. So I have again I have a little bit of an issue with the art combined with the card. Uh, but, uh, you know, it is cool that we see the New Republic tag there, um, because, yeah, like you said, that opens up more options in the future if we have, you know, other cards and leaders and things like that that deal with the New Republic versus Rebels. So, yeah, I feel like it's it seems a bit, it's a little bit surprising to see it in the first set, but I agree that it, it seems like it's maybe a nod to something in the future, but we will see. Inevitably, they have to tackle the sequels, right? So, well, wait, they have, like, yeah. Kylo in the in the art for aggression and stuff, so, yeah. We're definitely doing it yeah, at some point. They, they have given nods to the other eras already. And I mm -hmm. do like that they are doing that because it, one, shows the forethought of the game, but also it's just kind of reminding you that, hey, we're going to go there eventually. Mm -hmm. So even though the core focus, right, Sparker Rebellion is on that era, there is very clear homages and, and just characters, right? Like we've already seen Mace Windu, for example, mm -hmm. uh, crashing the party and showing up in a, a set based on an era that he's not a part of. Unless <laughs> you believe my fan theory, which is that he wasn't dead because Yoda does. Uh, you don't see Yoda, the body. Uh, he's not dead. Yeah, you don't see the body. Yeah. Uh, when Yoda disappears, the, they say, if you don't see the body, he's he's still alive. So maybe I'll get my wish someday. But yeah, uh, I... Well, I was just going to use this as a transition. I, I think that this is a great card to transition because it does, in my opinion, nod to either stuff in the future or at a bare minimum stuff we haven't seen yet. And that yeah. I think leads very well into our topic, which is how do you evaluate cards and even further build the decks when you don't have all of the pieces, mm -hmm. right? So that's like part one of our our discussion because... We are hitting the point now where a lot of people are, you know, playing games with tabletop simulator and things like that and building decks. And it's difficult because on the one hand, if you're a card game veteran, I think it's pretty easy to spot the stuff that you expect to be good versus sure. not good. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that it's wrong to say, you know, hey, this deck will be good or this card will be good or this will be an archetype. But... I think it's also one of those things where it can be difficult to know with certainty when you only have part of the puzzle, right? Because mm -hmm. we, we've we just kind of crossed the threshold of the halfway point of set one, which means that as much as we know about the game now, we could theoretically know enough to turn it on its head, right? Literally yeah. see the other side of a coin. Well, uh, before we go any further, too, uh, shout out to Board Game Theory, who uh, revealed that last card as well. Congrats. It's a very oh, interesting yeah. card. Yeah. Um, but going back to your, your topic, um, and, and well, our topic, not just your topic, our topic, uh, we've got, according to SwooDB, uh, which has done a great job of archiving all the cards that have been revealed so far, uh, 178 cards have been revealed uh, so far. And that is, that is over half now. Um, so we're getting to the point where, yeah, we do probably have a little bit better of an indication of where the set is heading. Um, but like you said, we do still have to be careful too, because uh, 
it's it's one thing to build decks with the cards that are available and, and play those games and be like, okay, I'm kind of getting a feel for how this leader plays or how these cards can combo together. Um, and that's I think that's good and that's fine and there's some great content coming out with that. I think the danger that we're talking about is when you start making uh, big assumptions about the set and be like, this is the way it's going to be because of this, where it's like, well, you haven't seen everything yet. There's still quite a bit to be revealed yet. So it's hard to make any you know, hard determinations at this point. But I do feel like we are getting to the point where you can start to start to kind of get the vibe of the way some things are going to go. Yeah, I think that you can get a, a vibe. Part of the reason that I wanted to talk about this, and I'll be transparent, this was my suggestion, is because when I covered Legends of Runeterra, there was a, a time period, and they, they've kind of amplified it even more so now, but there was a time period where every time a new set was coming out, they would slowly drip reveals the same way that Star Wars Unlimited is doing. And then you would get to a point where up until the day before an expansion would go live, you would know, I'd say like 80 to 85% of the set uh, through mm -hmm. the, the drip releases and reveals, etc. But there was always like a small handful of cards that you wouldn't know until literally the day before because then they mm -hmm. would invite content creators to kind of play the patch early because that's a digital card game and on two separate occasions through the reveals there were there were instances where people thought like this is for sure going to end up being like the deck of this expansion because of what had been revealed and then there was like something uh, one one random card sometimes that was not in the revealed things but it was so like not just powerful but like pivotal and important to the way the meta played out that it blew things wide open and i think mm. that's one of the reasons why they didn't reveal it ahead of time because they still also want that kind of surprise factor and when i think about my experience with legends of runeterra and i also think about uh what i think is a good thing but when i think about how purposeful fantasy flight has been with their reveal structure reveal season I feel like, and I and I don't know this for certain, I don't have inside info, but I feel like based on my previous experiences with other games, there's some real spice that we haven't seen yet. And that One is the only so. reason that yeah. I wanted to talk about it, right? Because I, um, I do think that there is benefit, obviously, to playing the game so that you learn it. And mm -hmm. I think that getting a jump on testing is is good, but I also feel like it's a difficult thing to go in with certainty. Um, yeah. And and so part part two of why I wanted to talk about this, and I want to give a special uh, shout out to them as well. Um, the uh, Space Arena, Ground Arena folks, the Saga folks, right? Uh, they posted a video, I believe, uh, yesterday, uh, today, might have been today even, uh, that was about Sabine and some of the testing they've done and her being very powerful early on. Mm -hmm. And I do think Sabine's going to be a very, very good deck. Um, but what I really liked about their approach was they were saying, okay, if Sabine is potentially going to be good, then how do you deck build knowing that? And I think that that's one of the, the better approaches to take is instead of saying like, this is going to be the best deck and this is the way you should play it. Instead, it's more theoretical, right? Like yeah. if you have any sort of meta where a deck is prevalent, then how does that impact the way you build your deck, right? I think that those are some of the better questions to ask. 
similarly, and this is one of the reasons I always like phrase it the way I do, um, when you see certain certain cards, even if they don't look good, I think that there are certain things you want to earmark for later. So again, that Vanguard Ace card. Right now, I don't think it's necessarily an all-star, but if we get a bunch of New Republic stuff, we get a bunch of cheap cunning spells, things like mm -hmm. that, excuse me, uh, events, then it could be something to revisit. And I... I I want to I wanted to get what your thought process is on doing things um, in that kind of like theoretical realm and like what your process would be if you were approaching it. I you know, I first of all, I think it's fun. And I think that's one of the, the fun things about expecting an expansion or a new card game is getting to do that theory crafting. I think uh, especially from the competitive player standpoint, there's there's kind of a couple sides to it. The, the biggest thing is to know the potential dangers of doing that. Um, one of the ones as a, a player is that you don't want to ingrain wrong information into your head through your playtesting that will then cause you to make wrong decisions in the important matches you will play down the road. I think that's part of it. Um, if you do too much with a smaller pool of cards, then you, you run the risk of ingraining bad habits and things. So you have to be careful about that. Um, I think outside of the competitive uh, aspect of, of, you know, doing early testing and, and talking about it and things like that is that I feel like people like us, content creators, if we truly do like this game and like where it's going, have a responsibility to represent the game uh, in the most accurate way possible. And so when we talk about things like, you know, things being strong in the game, what we expect, we always have to make sure we're adding the caveat that we haven't seen everything yet. These are our assumptions based on what has been revealed thus far and not, you know, us saying this is the way it's going to be. Because again, you might be wrong and you don't want to give uh, players the wrong impression, especially new players that are learning about the game from your content, you know? So uh, I think especially with a new game that's coming out for the first time, and it's a it's an intellectual property like Star Wars, so it's probably going to bring in new card game players. There there is a certain level of responsibility to content creators to make sure that if we truly do like this game and we truly do want to promote it, that we're doing it in a, a healthy way for possible new players. Um, that's that's my that's my TED talk on it anyway. But yeah, you gotta. It's fun and it's one of the best parts about it. But you have to do it responsibly, you know. So this is where I play the sith advocate and i say oh, okay i thought we were supposed to say that every new card is broken and every <laughs> deck is unbeatable and you have to use all of these clickbait titles i'm about so bad this at is that too strong this needs nerfs now i'm also so bad at it because i like, i'm just not built for hyperbole like that yeah. i only like to do it in comedic sense so i will absolutely say things that are outlandish but it's always intended to be a joke. And I think part of the problem is, is that my delivery is still the same as it always is. And I think sometimes people take me seriously. There's <laughs> even been times where I've seen comments on our YouTube videos for this, where like I've said something and I'm like, oh, the, the, like that's my fault. The joke just didn't land. And I know it's a me problem because I am just expressionless and dead inside. But I usually only try to get off the deep end for things when it's meant for comedic effect. Whenever sure. I'm providing like a real analysis, I, I try to be. Um, you're saying you you're know, from the Midwest. I understand. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, that's yeah. what you're telling me is is you're from the the Upper Midwest, and that's yes, exactly that's, that's how we all are here, basically. Uh, very very dry, very dry dry senses yeah. of humor. Yeah, Saharan. Exactly. Yeah, which is weird because we have so much snow. But anyway, I digress. Uh, you you know you're right. It's it's a it's a type of thing where you you do need to kind of 
you know, be careful of your delivery and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But I, I'm terrible at the clickbaity stuff, too. I've tried in the past. I've tried to make the YouTube thumbnails where I'm like, you know, or something. And I'm like, I just can't. I just can't do it. I don't know. I know it gets me less views. I know over the years I my social media has not grown as much as it could be. But I just can't. I can't do it. I tried. and I can't do it. And you know what? That's just me. And I have to be proud of that. You have to be proud of you as well, Charmer. I, I guess what I've also learned about myself, you know, as you talk about the clickbait stuff, is that I realize that I'm just boring. Because when I what? first started making no, content, no, hear me out. When okay. I first started making content, <laughs> convince me. I was like, I will make the kind of content that I would want to watch, right? I yeah, think that's sure. the natural starting place for everybody. And then I realized that the kind of stuff I watch are just like how-to videos, and I don't care about the thumbnail. The thumbnail just needs to say in big block letters, like, what you're teaching me and so, that's it so you're right? saying we're both over 30 is what you're saying yeah, yeah, yeah. okay I, I, I get it i don't yeah. need like uh funny faces or hyperbole <laughs> or whatever and so I, I also am just awful at it and i've received that <laughs> feedback on several occasions by the way from people like hey man you got to step up your thumbnail game and i'm like uh what like does charmer, that mean i need a manicure charmer is boomer exposed i'm so <laughs> boomer man it's all right. You know, the, the, that term isn't even used correctly because boomers are actually more like our parents or grandparents' generations to a certain extent. We are just, we are like proto-zoomers, not zoomers. We are like the earliest internet generation. Well, I think technically we are elder millennials. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, like tail end of, of, uh, of what generate, I don't know, I haven't looked at the actual dates, but it's like, when does generation X end? It's like the early 80s. I, yeah, like I always see fluctuating stuff depending on the printing. I'm either the mm. like last year of Gen X or I'm like the first year or two of millennial. But yeah, it's yeah. usually like early 80s. I see it. Um, some people say Gen X is uh, like 82 is the last year. And I've seen okay. it go as far as like 84. So I feel more millennial, even though I was really into grunge rock music in the 90s. I feel more because I remember the millennium, right? Yeah. I actually on New Year's. Okay, so here's a Doa's, Doa. We need a category, a new category flake called Doa is old. But so I remember on, on 19 in 1999, December 31st, 1159 p.m., I went over to my dad's computer and I wanted to watch the date turn over because I, I didn't think anything would happen. But in case it did, in case all the computers did explode and the world ended and all that, I wanted a front row seat. So I was like, I don't think anything's going to happen. But just in case, I want to see it. If it does, nothing happened. It just went to midnight. Yeah. The date just changed. I was also in front of a computer <laughs> oh, <really? laughs> as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was 100% the same thing. I was like, well, <laughs> if, you know, something happens, yeah. then I want to I want to have that experience. I don't want to be the guy who was like yeah. out and oh, I didn't I didn't know or I didn't see it. Yeah, well, it's uh I mean, I was in high school. Were you in high school as well? I yeah. was. So we yes. were both in high school. So and I feel like I was I was old enough to understand that all the Y2K stuff was like total BS. Like I was like there's no way. Like it's just a it's just a date change. Like even if there is a bug, it's not going to be this catastrophic thing. It was clearly even to like my teenage mind, it was something that had been obviously like blown way out of proportion. Just like the popularity of of Beanie Babies, which is another '90s thing. In case you're curious, um, and Pogs, Pogs. Oh yeah, oh yes, the Pogs. But Pog Champion, in fact. But uh, uh, so, you know, we we knew 
we knew nothing was going to happen. But just in case, we had to watch. So anyway, I don't know why we're talking about 1999 right now. Uh, we're, what? we're we're because we're old <laughs> okay. and we don't have emergency packs to open yet. I guess not. We this is why we I need just, flake. We I need love it. that you were like uh, <laughs> it needs to be a segment called Doa is old. Like I'm not. Uh, just right there next to you i'm used to um, being the oldest person in in the room I, when it comes to esports I and stuff thank you, know? you think you are a hair older than me this but i'm also slightly. used to being the the oldest person yeah. in the room well there's just not not many folks like us still we'll in have this space. An, we'll have an old fight when we when we meet up in person at some point to determine who is the oldest but what were we talking about again do you remember yeah we were talking about I know the fun of theory crafting. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The fun testing. of theory crafting. Um, you know, and and just some of the things that go into testing. So one of the other things that I wanted to talk about as well is when you are testing, and I think this is the evergreen piece of the topic, right? Whether mm. you are doing this now ahead of the game, or you know, this could be two years down the road. When you are play testing to determine if something is good. I think that it's very important to have people that you trust, uh, people that are interested in getting better at the game and understand the game, mm -hmm. but you also need to expand periodically outside of that inner circle because totally. otherwise what happens is you get what I call like uh, incestuous feedback, meaning if everybody eventually comes to a consensus that like this is the best thing, then you just stop kind of trying or you attack it from like that as being certainty. Mm -hmm. And like right now is a great example, right? There are people who are very excited about the game, but I would wager the people that are playing the game regularly, whether that's tabletop simulator or whatever, is less than 100 people. Game launches, we're going to have thousands of people playing the game, right? So the scale mm -hmm. is going to be wildly different. And that means the you know, thought processes, the decks, the archetypes or whatever will likely change. And it's hard to account for that sort of thing. And you see it even in other card games, right? It's not uncommon for in Magic or in Flesh and Blood or some of these other games where you have these testing groups and they all come to an event with the exact same deck list because in their eyes, they arrived at like what the best thing is. And sometimes mm. they do very well and they dominate an event. But there are also a lot of cases where their decision making didn't account for you know a certain archetype to show up or didn't account for something and then the entire team does horrible mm -hmm. so I, I think that it's important to highlight as well that when you do start playing the game uh, it's kind of important to just check with people outside of your circle sure um it's it's also important to just play as many different decks as you can right and continue yeah. to try to iterate like if you think something is the strongest right like using sabina as an example again if you think she's the strongest right up until the day of that tournament you keep trying new things to see if uh you know to see what works because at the very least you'll have all this experience against the leader and, and that'll put you in a better position for it you know so your win rate might you know go up a percentage point or two you know just from sheer volume of experience you know um and you'll you you can't get that if you just decide well you know that that's that leader's too strong to worry about we're just gonna do other things you know but yeah, yeah. well and you also kind of have to play the numbers game as well mm -hmm. which is if you do think a deck is going to be very strong how many people do you expect to play it how many people do you expect to bring it and what yeah. i mean by that is um sometimes if you have a deck that's very good into the quote-unquote meta deck or the best deck mm -hmm. 
and it's bad against everything else, it can still be the right call to bring your deck in and do well. I, back when I was playing Magic more competitively, <laughs> this is probably showing my age, uh, I was playing when um, the very first mirrored in block was in standard. So like Artbound Ravager. I Skull remember Tans, those days. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I was playing Cloudpost Tooth and Nail even when Ravager and Skull Clamp were still legal because I had tailored the deck to a point where I could never lose to Affinity, but I would mm. lose to everything else. And it was still the right call because Affinity was like 60% of the field. Yeah. Well, that's a you can always counter pick kind of thing, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, obviously, there's going to be some sort of slow, grindy control deck that people are going to try to bring to counteract all the Sabines if that's what ends up being the case, you know? So th there's w there's ways to get around it. I'm curious to see what what's going to happen with that. Um, but again, we gotta wait until more cards are revealed. I think. I mean, yeah, she seems very strong right now. Um, and again, like the person I watched that video as well, and the I think the best comment that he made was that the deck flows very nicely. Which that right. is when you look at the curve of the list they showed and you look at the way it's played, you're like, yeah, that does flow extremely well. And so that's where you're like, all right, well even if other stuff comes out, this is already like, it seems like a good core for what this leader can yes. do. And so that's where it's like, okay, I think we can kind of make that uh, assumption that this is going to be, you know, a stronger leader, right? Um, but again, you know, there might be a card or two that comes up that totally blows it out of the water, who knows? But uh, well, it is just, she is just a common leader. So we'll see. I also, I know what you're talking about, right? I think that the takeaway there is that this is, I still, like I said, I still think Sabine's going to be a very strong leader. Um, she just has, not just with her, but like with her card pool, she has all the tools that you want in an aggressive deck. Mm -hmm. And I'm also biased because Sabine's one of my favorite characters, and so I'm dying to play it as well. But the flow thing also stood out to me, but for a different reason. And again, it's kind of more to that discussion topic, which is it almost feels like the core parts of Sabine, there might be one or two more cards you might slot in, but I feel like the core parts of the Sabine archetype have all been revealed. Hmm. And then when I try out some of the other archetypes, I feel like there are cogs for that machine that are still missing or unrevealed, hmm. right? So the ramp archetype, for example, there's like a dearth of what I would consider to be the good mid-game options that let you make it to the late game. Like, all your early game plays have pretty much been revealed or what you expect to be. Yeah. There's enough late-game bombs that you can tinker with them. It's that mid-game where I'm like, okay, what is this deck supposed to do here? And it doesn't flow very well right now, and I think it's just because we haven't seen everything. Yeah. Um, and there's a few decks that are like that. I want to see what's going to get me uh, get me those Star Destroyers. I mean, we, we got a little bit of ramp, I suppose, in in, uh, in Command. But uh, I, I want to see what's going to help me survive to get to that point, you know, for my right. ramp to work. But we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Traditionally, with the ramp stuff, like when I think back to the Elder Scrolls Legends, you've got your early game plays that are low-powered, but they ramp you into usually what was like a, a decent mid-game defensive tool that mm -hmm. let you survive to drop the bombs, right? So in yeah. the Elder Scrolls Legends, uh, you know, there was a three drop that was just like a 1-1. One, one. It had guard in that game, that Sentinel, um, but it ramped you, and then that allowed you to play another five drop that had mm. guard to buy you time to play the, the late game stuff, right? Right now, we don't have that good defensive tool where it's like, okay, I sacrifice early tempo to play the ramp, and then this is what stabilizes me or buys me the time to drop the bomb yeah so the flow right again what you were talking about i think that's the best way to describe it the flow 
isn't there yet with that deck. I think generally when you look at the game, you're like the the basic components of of your gameplay plan should should be what is my turn one play going to what was my ideal turn one going to be with my two resources um, and then how do i get safely from there to my hero flip turn and then how do i make that hero flip turn a big impactful turn you know and like that's that's kind of how i look at it as far as like how i would you know build a deck i guess is like how can i make that journey as safely and uh, safely for me as possible and as dangerous for my opponent as possible you know so some of the leaders, some of the archetypes that we're seeing emerge, feels like there's gaps within that process. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what we get. But I think, in conclusion, for this this conversation, generally the the thing to keep in mind is that you're representing the game accurately. I think, in in my mind, that's the most important thing. What what do you think? No, I think that you have to go as outlandish as possible to get those <laughs> clicks, man. You got to wake hey, up. You're getting better already at this. Grind. You gotta rise and grind and you gotta you gotta play the game, you gotta play the content meta. Come it's on, true. bro. Is it uh, big bold text or is it big uh, flashy faces this week on YouTube thumbnails? How do we manipulate the algorithm to our favor? That's the question. It is a big bold text that you craft out of contorting your face to match the letters. I'll work on that. So, I'm sure there, there's an app for that, right? I don't know. Yeah, there's gotta be. Or for every O, it's just or like a TikTok you going filter. Yeah. Oh, there you go. We need. Well, now we know what uh, what Flake needs to do with the thumbnail for this one. I'm just, I'm just saying. Saying you're not you're not getting off that easy. I'm just saying. But uh, but yeah, I, I think that was a fun discussion to have. Um, I think it's important to think about as we get uh, we start to kind of like come out of where there's not a lot of stuff revealed yet to where most of the stuff is revealed as we lead up to this game. You know, and again, like the reason you're watching this podcast, the reason we're making this podcast, the reason we're doing all this is because we're excited about this game, and so we want to make sure everything we do as content creators helps other people be excited and have the right idea about the game. Um, so, so let's do it team. That's right. Um, <laughs> moving on. Uh, you know, normally we would have a bad feeling mailbag this week, but uh, neither of us, neither of us grabbed a, a question. So we're, we're kind of, uh -huh. we don't, I don't think we have one. Do we? I didn't uh, have, I was going to say, are, are you sure? Uh, well, we don't have one in the dock, at least. No, we don't I don't have, have access the, to the email. We don't have one on the thing. Um, I So we didn't have anyone that I wanted to answer without Flake present, but okay. we did have some non-serious ones that I felt like we could answer. Yeah, just, let's do it. Uh, for giggles. Sounds fun to me. Um, so we'll uh, we'll skip the intro and we'll just jump right to the, the bad feeling mailbag. I don't know. I have a bad feeling about this. I have a bad feeling about this. I have a really bad feeling about this. Oh, I have a bad feeling about this. Yeah, you and me both. So these are these are some of the ones that I'd like earmarked for if we ever wanted to do either like a bloopers episode or, or fun stuff. So uh, this one was not from our most recent video, but the previous one. Uh, Delinian asks, what sociopaths play stasis at kitchen table magic because during the instant speed discussion you know you had talked about breaking out stasis and some of those other things where like your opponent just doesn't get to play the game yeah not and... me i don't do that yeah uh well so this was this goes back to when i was in, when i was in college and we'd have like on-campus tournaments 
And I thought we were all just a group of friends, but then this one guy, <laughs> this one guy would bring stasis every single time and everybody hated him for it. It was just so unfun. And we had a we had um time limits for the the matches in uh, in our tournaments, you know. So one I this had happened for weeks, all right? You have to understand. This has been going on for weeks. He just keeps bringing stasis. It's finally he plays against me one day. I'm playing red. I do and of course like he never does damage to me. Right? He just locks out the game, basically. So I did a little bit of damage to him with my deck, and then every time it was my turn, I just sat and like timed out my timer for the turn. And I made the match take long enough that we ran out of time, and I just won by having more life. And he was so angry, but he never played Stasis again after that. So, good mission accomplished, you know? I don't feel That's... good about what I have to do. It was like, you know, it was like uh, where uh, Luthien says in, uh, Lucian says in, um, or Lucian, Lucian, the guy in Andor, you know what I'm talking about. He's yeah, like, yeah. I'm forced to use the tools of my enemies, you know? So I was forced to play even slower than the Stasis deck. So uh, I don't feel good about that. It's not a proud moment for me as a card game player, but the job had to get done somehow, and, and uh, I was the one to do it. So I had a similar experience now they didn't play it every time but i i had a friend that his favorite commander deck was Zugu. now if you're not familiar this one. is a this is a legendary unit that when you tap it all players lose half their life <laughs> rounded uh up okay right uh or down or whatever but basically you lose half your life and if you play any damage doubling effect it will kill everyone at the table so he would just play like hold the table hostage the entire time. Uh -huh. And I ended up finding that the way you get around it was you run fetch lands, but you leave one unactivated. So when he activates Haidatsugu, then you lose one life to go to an odd number and then you survive and everyone else at the table dies. And the oh. first time I did that to him, he was <laughs> like stunned. And I was like, yeah. Huh, that's, that's a great idea. I love that. Yeah. It was uh, it was it was fun. It was good stuff. But that's good. I like that. All right, that was a fun one. You're right. These are fun fun questions. What what yeah, else do you yeah. got? Yeah, I, I so um, another somewhat uh, non serious one that I had was loading. Now I hope I'm not disconnecting as we're recording this because now this thing is stuck i mean you're still uh you're still coming through as I'm far as i okay, can see good, yeah good we can good. edit Maybe... this out in post don't worry well you wanted yeah, a no, bloopers no, no. episode we're, we're, we'll just we'll continue to do it live it's not a not a big deal at all all right there we go i have to go back to through my my previous saves oh, okay. um so th this one is uh one that i i wanted to, it's not necessarily a, a question uh, or was it originally phrased as a question, but okay. um, uh, ha have we played a single game yet? Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Some somebody uh, believes that we do not do not play at all. Yeah, which I I find we we do. I mean, the the difference is is that we you know we've elected to not make gameplay content because we didn't feel enough of the cards were out again to like give a, an accurate sort of portrayal of, of the game. But of course, do I, has this person played games? That's what I'm wondering. Hmm. I'm calling you out, whoever you are. Have well, you it's, played it's games? our, it's our favorite. It's our favorite uh, fan. Oh, um, 
I don't know who that is. There was another one. This one was semi, um, semi serious, but it's also not deep. So I had earmarked it for later, which was somebody had asked uh, whether or not we felt the uh, initiative system was going to be the most skill testing part of the game. Oh, I do think it is a, a majorly skill testing part of the game. I think the first time, the first time you're playing a game. Uh, speaking of playing games, the first time you're playing a game and you're going through your normal turn and like out of nowhere your opponent's like i take initiative and you're like for a second you're like well wait you can do all the stuff left and then you realize they will kill you on the next turn and they just took initiative and there's nothing you do you've just lost the game the first time that happens that will impress upon you uh very firmly that the initiative is an extremely important part of the game so yeah that's uh i would say it it will be it will be pretty skill testing. I think it is. I think it is one of the more fun elements of the game to really like analyze and, and digest because you're gonna make decisions where it's like, all right, I've got you know a couple more points of damage I could put in the base, but this thing I really want to keep around is vulnerable. So like, do I take the initiative now? Like, is using this thing one more time worth missing out on that other stuff? So yeah, I, I do think that will be, I don't want to say it will be the most skill testing, but I do think it will be one of the most skill testing things. So another one, kind of non-serious. Um, somebody had asked if we had had a chance to check out the Star Wars Rivals Funko game yet. I know that they were demoing it at Gen Con, but mm. I did not get to check it out. No, so I have... It's another... Uh, Star Wars related game where you are also like using little Funko miniatures. I haven't even heard of this. So no, I have not because I have not heard of it before right now. <laughs> yeah, I I got to see it played, but I didn't get to play it myself. They had a demoing at Gen Con, but oh. uh, spoiler alert: when I was at Gen Con, I played a lot of Star Wars Unlimited instead. <laughs> Shocking. Uh oh, so it's 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 Funko in that it's got things with like big heads and all that. Yeah, I mean, I have no I have no comments on the fun aspect of the game or the strategic aspect of the game, but I've never I've just never been a big fan of like the Funko big head kind of, you know, look of things. So, on on that alone, I don't think I'd try it. Um but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Might be fun. Who knows? I can't say yes or no. Just not my not my personal aesthetic of choice. All right, and so this one wasn't the direct question, but it did get me uh, thinking. So somebody had mentioned that uh, they had not yet seen any uh, Ray cards yet. This was uh, mm. a long time ago when we were talking about, you know, cards you were excited for. They said, well, I'm not really excited for any yet because I haven't seen a Ray Skywalker card mm. yet. And then that made me kind of earmark the question, which is, uh, you know, when we eventually get to that era, and we know mm. we are because we have seen kylo on art for example sure well i mean uh, it's a star wars card you. game of course we have to at yeah, some yeah. point yeah. uh my my question for you is what uh character from the most recent set of movies are you most excited to see <laughs> in the game uh i i so that's a tough choice so i i'm not the you know I have opinions about the sequels. We'll, we'll put it that way. But I did like the the new main characters. I liked all of them, frankly. Um, I'm going to pick Finn because I feel like he had 
the most squandered potential in the sequels where like he had a really awesome backstory, but then they just, it didn't feel like they did very much with it in the movies, you know? So, so I'll, I'll say that just because I feel like that character deserves more. So I hope he gets a second better life in the card game someday. That's, that's what I'll go with. How about you? Yeah, I, that is a tough call for me as well. I was leaning heavily toward Finn, but I'm also having a really hard time not saying Kylo because, uh, again, I have uh, opinions about the most recent set of films as well. But to me, one of the coolest sequences from the new films, one of the things where I was like, I saw it and I was like, okay, maybe they're doing something really cool here is when Kylo stops the blaster bolt mid-fire, right? Yeah. Just because... That was, in my opinion, a great way, without him doing something necessarily violent himself, it was a great way to introduce him and make him feel imposing. Like, okay, mm -hmm. this is somebody, you know, worth fearing or might be on the level of a Vader or whatever. And so part of me wants to see not just Kylo show up, but have something where, like, that's personified, whether he's, like, preventing damage or does something. But that that was such an iconic moment when I think of, like, stuff I did like from the new movies that I, I want to see that even, and I will say this, even if it's not Kylo, like I want that maybe as an event or something, but that, that moment where he's just stopping the bolts and like freezes time for an area is so cool. Yeah. I think that's I agree. I think that is a really neat scene and it's just, it tells you right away. It's like, Oh, this, this guy's actually really powerful with the dark side of the force, you know, cause Vader, you know, he blocked blaster bolts with his hand in, in empire strikes back, but he never stopped them midair, you know? So it's, I, yeah. It was it was a great intro for the character for sure. That whole sequence uh, at the beginning of Force Awakens is is pretty cool, just with his ship coming down and all that. He's introduced yeah. very effectively, I think, as a villain. Yeah, I it checked all the boxes for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I I think I would go with that. Okay. But we, yeah, those those were some of the the less serious ones. Well, I'm glad we got through some of those. Then that was that was good. Yeah. Nice. I feel. I feel warm and fuzzy inside. How about you? I like in a also feel warm and fuzzy, which is great because it's the, the holiday season. So if you yeah. would like a gift from us uh, in the form of us answering a question, again, you can send us your questions either on Twitter, never X, at uh, Wampa Radio, or uh, again, you can email us. It's Podcast at gmail.com. And we would be happy to attack some of your questions. Yeah, and I right. mean attack, by the way. Like, we will make fun of them. No, I'm just kidding. We will answer them oh, accordingly. There's that dry charmer humor again. Yeah, I had oh, to qualify charmer. it afterwards because I <laughs> realized when I was saying it, like, oh, they might think I'm serious. Is he really mad at me? Well, anyway, yes. I'm surprised how often I get that, like, in person. In fact, I don't know if I've told this story here, but one of the, one of the times where it became very apparent to me that I'm just not aware of what I give off in in person is i was at uh a event for the elder scrolls legends where i was having dinner with a bunch of other content creators and then uh employees of bethesda games right hmm. and i was having a great time and we're having dinner it's great korean place and uh, my friend christian who works at bethesda walks over to me and he leans in real close and he goes hey man you look like you're miserable are you all right <laughs> i was like no i'm having a great time and he was just like, oh, well, I just wanted to check on you. And, I, and then it was that moment where I was like, okay, <laughs> maybe maybe it's worse than I thought. Like, I've always been told it, but, like, 
I was ha legit having a good time, and somebody came to check on me. So that's yeah. a, it's one of the most like Midwest things I've ever heard of happening. Yeah, uh, in in yeah. my life, where it's like you're having a great time, people still ask if you're okay. Yeah, that's that's it. That's the upper Midwest yeah. in a nutshell. Yeah. Well, on that note, this is the place for random stories. You thought it was a Star Wars podcast, but as you've found out, this is where we talk about Y2K um, being too serious, appearing sometimes. We talk about movies. We talk about a lot of things. But we, we do get around to talking about the card game every once in a while. So we hope you enjoyed Beanie it. Beanie Babies. Beanie Babies. Yep, that's right. Uh, <laughs> thanks for watching, everybody. Um, that's it for this week. Uh, have a, have a wonderful little holiday break. If, uh, if you do that, otherwise have a great weekend and, uh, we will see you on the next, uh, Wampa radio. May the force be with you. <laughs>